We're talking under-the-radar rookies, third-year breakouts, and deep sleepers, and much, much more on this edition of Rotoviz Overtime. Now let's kick it off. Hello everyone, welcome in to the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. My name is Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. I'm glad to be joined once more by my co-host here on the show, co-owner of Rotoviz, and that is Mr. Sean Siegel, who is on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian. Sean, we're back for week two, they didn't cut us off yet, so uh, let's do another one of these. How you doing, my man? Excellent. We have a, a number of interesting fellows to cover today. We're going to look at some training camp buzz on some sleepers, or some really deep sleepers, rookie breakouts, uh, bounce back players, that type of guy. So if those are the sort of players you're looking for, this episode should be for you. And uh, last week we said we had a $35 entry to the FFPC to give away. So stay tuned later on in the show to see if you were lucky enough to win that. That's coming up uh, in just a little bit. I'm very excited, as I mentioned, Sean, to get straight into the topics, but first I want to let the listeners know that you can get a 30% discount off a Rotoviz NFL pass right now just by going over to the NFL podcast homepage, that is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. That subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools, and best of all, it helps support the pod. So get yourself 30% off and get yourself the NFL pass at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. There's just so much great content up there at the minute, I highly, highly recommend it. And on today's show, we're going to have a little bit of a different stream through it. We're going to have a little bit of sound effects and that coming in to try and get us through. We're going to keep a fast pace here as we run through the content. So let's get into it. Let's hit the second quarter. A deep, deep sleeper here. And uh, some of the players that are kind of rising up on Rotoviz last year, you know, with players like Tyreek Cohen, which has been talked about Austin Eckler, you know, really, really under the radar players that you're hoping they can have a breakout. And, you know, training camp buzz is something that I don't, I try to just take it a little bit at a time. I try not to take it all in at the one go because we can get a little bit overwhelmed. But uh, Philip Lindsay, somebody who we talked last week about the Broncos backfield, and he's somebody obviously now in Denver and uh, an interesting prospect. Finished at Colorado with 4,859 yards from scrimmage, 39 TDs, 117 receptions. So there's a, a lot of uh, interest you know, in what he's done in his college production. And Jordan Hoover has done an excellent sleeper article in February pre-draft. So we know that he's only one of 15 backs this century to have back-to-back seasons with 1,200 rushing yards, 20 receptions, and 14-plus TDs. So there's a lot of positive metrics here. Do you think, like we talked about last week, that the situation isn't all as sure as we probably think up in Denver? He's somebody who could take that uh, little bit of a leap, maybe an injury to somebody in training camp, and all of a sudden he's that third down back for the Denver Broncos? I think he could be, and it's interesting because one of the articles that I'll hopefully have out next week will talk about how Royce Freeman may be in trouble, but not from the direction you think. Now, Royce Freeman is is the player I've been you know most heavily promoting, uh, really all off season along with a a wide receiver. We're going to talk about here in a minute. You know, Freeman really looks like you know just a a mild discount version or poor man's version of David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, when they came into the league. Now, those guys have kind of hit their ceilings, and so it's not that Freeman necessarily projects to be that level. But but Freeman is a guy who looks to be undervalued, except he's also dealing with a rookie teammate, you know, much, much more below the radar, who is also just wildly undervalued in in Philip Lindsay. And Lindsay has been getting rave reviews in Broncos camp. He, he had a play the other day where 
Uh, he'd beat Brandon Marshall, linebacker, for a 50-yard receiving touchdown, and Marshall has just been absolutely raving about him, saying he's going to be their third down back. He's a potential star in that role. And there are reasons to think that that, that could be the case. Uh, you mentioned some of his regular stats, some of his advanced stats are even more exciting. You know, you hear us talk on the side about the workhorse metric as a tool to find undervalued runners. And last year, a couple of guys like Cohen, who you mentioned, Aaron Jones, you know, they jumped out and anybody who added those guys at the very end of their drafts or in free agency, you know, you're able to, to spin those guys for quite a bit more. Now, those are two guys who have factored into trade talks with me for for the last week and, and we'll cover that a little bit later in the show but certainly if you can add those guys it really helps well Lindsay's numbers in this metric are phenomenal so especially when you consider that this year's class at running back is so good or is at least perceived to be so good that seven of the first eight picks in, in almost every rookie draft were running backs well within this context Lindsay scored in 97 in the workhorse metric which means he's basically the guy for colorado this was five points better than saquon barkley who was second now blair andrews who obviously has done a lot of phenomenal work for us one of the things he did this offseason was go a little bit deeper and help determine how that fit in context bringing receiving into the equation and adjusting for a team's scheme so his metric called the backfield dominator rating really helps you to see uh you know if a guy like ronald jones isn't that uh involved in the passing game for example how does that compare to someone else like Darius guys who also isn't involved but maybe the two teams run their offenses differently anyway so getting back to Lindsay, he again scores a 97 the number two running back in this class uh, was ralph virgin vanderbilt's ralph webb down at 81 so you can see that big gap right there the top running back from any of the studs is ronald jones at a 76 and that's one of the reasons why I've been drafting Jones so early in so many leagues. But you see this, this huge gap from Lindsay to the rest of these guys, and it jumps out to you. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be a big-time player. Obviously, the NFL teams didn't, didn't think so, didn't want him. Uh, but it's certainly something to keep in mind. Lindsay was a workhorse at Colorado, but he wasn't invited to the Combine, in part because the Combine selection process is patently absurd. And <laughs> Right. Yeah, so he has to rely on the Colorado Pro Day where he runs a four three nine. Now, you know, even if we add a little bit of time due to the nature of pro day timing, that's comparable to the four four two for Cohen last year. Certainly that four three nine compares favorably to all of the backs in this class. Hines for Indianapolis would be the one guy who potentially is faster. And certainly he's someone else we've been adding everywhere. Right. So you look at Lindsay. I think this obviously is a, a huge dagger for Devontae Booker, but it could cause problems for, for Royce Freeman as well. Yeah, and absolutely. When we look at it as well, the depth chart, you know, you mentioned Booker, then you have Royce Freeman, who we're all kind of excited about, and then you have D'Angelo Henderson, David Williams, and then below that there is Philip Lindsay. So it's not a huge, you know, step to see him uh, breaking out and getting an opportunity in this team. And when you mentioned the stats there through his college career, definitely has produced at a very high level. And, you know, to be 5'8 and to have that much workload is uh, pretty, pretty, pretty unique. And then to look as well at the situation with him not getting invited to the combine, you kind of touched on that. The, the combine process can be absolutely absurd at times. The other player they were interested in this week is Traquan Smith down in New Orleans with the Saints. And obviously you have, uh, a lot of a lot of talented players have played in their time with Drew Brees down there but the thing that interests me here is with him as a freshman when he broke out his career he had a 30 percent market share in yards he also gained 20 yards per reception he declared early it was pretty pretty uh you know surprising that he did declare this year and it was pretty surprising that the Saints took him as early as they did in the draft so 
with his combine, with what he's done uh, in college, it really has kind of up the hype and we've seen what michael thomas did uh, when he came in with drew Brees, and before that drew hadn't really mixed it a lot with rookies but there's a lot a lot of positive reports coming out off him uh, so far uh, this preseason and you know the, i mentioned earlier the hype pieces sometimes they try and take them with a pinch of salt but things do look to be really really positive coming out of new orleans with traquan smith what are your thoughts on him are you buying into the hype is he somebody who does excite you with what he's done in college and with what we're expecting him to to try and do in the nfl well, Smith was the guy, I think, who probably represented the best value in rookie drafts just across the board. DJ Moore, pretty clearly the best receiver in this draft, but I think it's very close between Christian Kirk, Cortland Sutton, and Smith to be the number two. And so that's above some other interesting guys like Calvin Ridley, like a Michael Gallup, those sorts of players, Anthony Miller, you know, good players, but I think Smith is a tier above them. You mentioned those four big stats, and the reason that we really harp on those is that all four of those things are key indicators for how a player projects to the NFL. So if they do well in those categories, they very frequently do well in the NFL. You mentioned his combine. He had a 44940 and a 37 inch vertical at 6'1, 210 pounds. So not a freakish athlete, but I think more athletic than a lot of people thought. And so, you know, he he helps lead Central Florida this undefeated season. He comes out, like you said, many people may have assumed that he wouldn't, but only because they didn't realize what he'd actually done and how good he was so yeah the the hype pieces have been coming fast and furious which again you you know you don't want to draft someone specifically because of these you know tough stories but at the same time you you do want to see a guy flash at training camp as opposed to not and so you know you have a story on the saints official website about drew Brees running down the field to congratulate him after what they call a, a leaping contorting sideline catch uh, you've got all the different papers down there including the advocate yeah calling him something special giving a shout out to randy moss yeah you've got the the quote from his wide receiver coach curtis johnson saying you know one of the great things about him is this long speed and then you know he says i'm not going to compare him to anybody but then as you mentioned immediately drops the name of randy moss so obviously he's not going to be a moss but even if he's way way down from that then he still could could easily factor into your fantasy season so then i think the next question is you know how does he fit you know last season uh, Ted Ginn finishes wide receiver 34, gained 787 yards, scored four times. Uh, two years ago, Cameron Meredith was wide receiver 39, even on a bad Chicago team, broke out for 888 yards. Now, his injury was bad enough that the Bears let him go, but he appears to be practicing without limitations. Uh, in Saints camp, could certainly be a bounce back candidate. The coaching staff says they like him for some of those seam routes that Marcus Colston always ran so effectively. Do any of these guys have redraft value if Smith emerges? Uh, certainly, the wide receivers as a group are going to really produce in New Orleans this year. I expect that passing offense to bounce back in a big way. But which of these three guys do you prefer? It's very hard to call on this because obviously you're going with a rookie and you're expecting them to bounce in straight away. Like I mentioned with Drew Brees, it's not very often that they take a wide receiver this high and then it's not very often as well that they have him in as a rookie and have an immediate impact we've seen Branton Cooks was there as a rookie we've also seen the situation like I mentioned as well with Michael Thomas who's put up monster years and like I just think Michael Thomas is for me a top five receiver in the NFL so he's going to obviously get his target share the problem then with the guys behind him are can they get a, a sufficient enough market share to be able to produce those fantasy points we all kind of know what Ted Ginn is he's going to get the deep targets last year he did get some uh, shorter targets as well but it has the issues with the drops and a lot of points then get left on the field but like you said wide receiver 34 787 yards in the four touchdowns that's kind of what we 
come to expect from him, you know, it's a big game here and a big game there and nothing in between. Then the other one you mentioned is Cameron Meredith. And the real question with him is that injury because pre-injury in Chicago, I was very, very impressed with what I seen with him. Then he had the bad injury against the Titans. And I'm quite surprised actually with that injury that he is back on the training field and he looks like uh, he's going to, you know, be fit for the season. He was somebody who I thought uh, could really have a nice uh, NFL career if he went on the projection that he was going. Him and Alshon Jeffrey were there. He was actually outshining Alshon Jeffrey for quite a long period off that season uh, before he got, or the season prior to getting hurt. So out of the three, if I'm looking dynasty, I'm looking uh, to get uh, Trey Quan. But if I'm looking then long, uh, short term, sorry, rather, I'm looking to get myself some Cameron Meredith because if he can stay healthy through camp and if he can get into the season, I think I like what he can do uh, in a combination with Drew Brees. Are you going to take that jump and in redraft take a chance on Smith? I think in the last round, he becomes pretty interesting simply because drew Brees is so good and so if smith is what a lot of his numbers suggest his athleticism suggests and now what the training camp reports suggest i think he could pop right away at the same time you know he, he probably is more of a first second third week waiver addition perhaps the best way to play this and it's maybe not the most exciting but you know even with quarterbacks a dime a dozen in fantasy if in your particular league you're seeing drew Brees drop and drop because last year's owner got burned at least in terms of what he paid um, and now there's this belief that they're going to be much more run heavy if drew Brees falls deep into your draft i think you want to jump on him his numbers are going to really explode back this year and, and certainly you know if you're starting to get him in the sixth seventh eighth ninth round which depending on your league i mean some leagues he goes much earlier and then some leagues he lasts very very late uh, if you can pounce on him kind of in that that later round area he certainly has the ability to really single-handedly give your team such a high floor every week that you're in great shape regardless of what the rest of your players do yeah and the thing i like that you mentioned with these players that we kind of touched on is although they mightn't come out and do exactly what we expect them to do they are going to be very very late or early waiver wire candidates and then when you look at the way the depth charts are situated it doesn't take a huge amount for them to be able to get get onto the field and have a regular starting role so uh, both very very interesting candidates Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends over at the FFPC. I mentioned at the start of the show they are sponsoring this podcast, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The 2018 fantasy draft season is in full swing, and the FFPC has a format to suit every diehard's interest and budget. Whether it's best ball or superflex or classic managed leagues, there are just dra- so many drafts over there at the FFPC. Drafting daily, starting at just $35 entry fee. So jump into a slow draft or a live draft today get yourself ready for the season are you ready for the greatest challenge you can have in fantasy sports check out the ffpc main event it's heading into its 11th season the main event is the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football you can head on to las vegas if you're interested in getting the live experience for the three-day weekend and live drafts and festivities from the planet hollywood resort and casino or draft online in the comfort of your own home and you can play for the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar grand prize and over 2.2 million dollars in total prize money and fantasy immortality last week i mentioned with that competition you could have won a free 35 dollar entry into an ffpc league and congratulations to the winner chris koenig who is on twitter at they wear cones and uh, he was the winner of this week's competition so give us an email at rotobizradio at gmail.com and we'll get that credit to you uh, straight away chris and uh, again thanks to all the people who left that written interview over on itunes we'll have more opportunities for you to win some entries in the coming weeks sean just when we're on the ffpc i know it's something uh, that you're you're very fond of uh, you've had quite a quite a streak in it 
love the format. Uh, if you're a Rotoviz reader and you're interested in the FFPC, I strongly recommend checking out the work of Monty Fawn, who writes for us and was the number one finisher last year in the regular season, finished with a top score. During that section, went down to the very end of week 16 to win the $250,000. Uh, didn't quite get it there. I think finished third, finished third or fourth. But Monty has been writing some fantastic articles about a variety of formats in the FFPC. And that's one of the great things about them is that they do provide a number of different types of format so whatever you like to play fantasy wise they have for you there and if you want to learn about those figure out what the high stakes players are doing and what the very very best high stakes players are doing uh, definitely check out monty on the site yeah and you mentioned monty and uh, we set up some listener leagues and some of the the road of his guys are getting involved and he's in a couple of them so uh you know you're going up against some stiff competition but if you're interested in playing in one of the, the listener leagues give me a, an email over at rotovizradio at gmail.com uh, let me know and uh, we'll get that set up as well i just sent in the latest round off league so it's always fun getting the interaction and playing with the listeners you can also subscribe to the podcast on itunes that gives us a little bit of a boost and uh, come back each and every week and listen to the show and leave us a rating there it costs you absolutely nothing but it does help us more than you can imagine so that is the rotoviz radio main channel feed and uh, this week as well we're also up as the road of his overtime podcast on itunes so if you're not already subscribed to the individual feed let us uh, know with a subscription and leave us a rating over there as well much much appreciated so as we head into the third quarter sean we're looking at some more uh, breakout candidates and this is somebody who i know you've been touting uh, on a couple of shows you've been talking to me behind the scenes and i heard you on with uh, pat fitzmorris on the fits on fantasy podcast this week you were talking about him it is a third year breakout candidate it is mr tyler boyd he got some good news today as well as Brandon lafell has been released from the cincinnati Bengals. a lot of people probably have forgotten all about tyler boyd uh, the bills fans won't have forgotten about him from last season when he uh, caught that touchdown that ended up getting them into the playoffs late in that week seven game so he's a 43 percent market share uh, and uh, over his career even though you know people think that he hasn't done a huge amount but uh, breaking out as a freshman you know 30 percent as his break hold threshold a number of you know different metrics that we've used have kind of directly related to nfl success pretty much like we mentioned with those statistics with uh, trey Quan smith but it's an interesting player who when he came into the league i was very very optimistic about i still own him in a lot of my dynasty leagues but you're really giving him uh, a big push here so i'm going to let you have the floor sean why should I be excited to have Tyler Boyd still on those dynasty rosters as he heads into the third season? Yeah, so with Boyd, we have to look at kind of three different things. One, what he was as a prospect. Two, how he performed as a rookie. And then three, this really miserable second season that he had. I think that bringing back a little bit of what he did in college is important to remember because a lot of folks don't really still have a sense of what a fantastic college player he was. You know, you talk about a 43% career market share in college. You're talking about sharing numbers with the very best players who came out and came to the NFL. He broke out as a freshman, like you mentioned. Uh, he declared for the NFL early. We know from John Moore's work on rushing yards and return yards that those things are actually key indicators for receivers. You know, he had over 500 yards rushing, including 349 in his final season, he had over 1,300 return yards. And because of these different things, I mean, his top three comps from the box score scout were Randall Cobb, Antonio Brown, and Stephon Diggs. Now, when we look at those three guys, I mean, that gives us a sense of, of what certainly his enthusiasts were hoping for, expected, you know, as, as more of a ceiling kind of performance, but was within the range of potential outcomes for Boyd as an NFL player. And so then he comes in, he doesn't have this monster rookie season like 
uh, former second round picks such as Anquan Bolden or Michael Thomas. But his 603 yards ranked 22nd out of the 100 second round wide receiver picks since 1990. You know, so that's more than guys like Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, Alshon Jeffrey, Chad Johnson, Golden Tate, Isaac Bruce, Randall Cobb, Vincent Jackson, right? These big, big names. So his rookie season, not a monster season, but certainly not any kind of red flag. The red flag was 2017. And he took a huge step back, missed six games. Um, only gained 225 yards, a huge chunk of which were on that final 49-yard TV uh, TD that you referenced. And, you know, he had this nagging knee injury, maybe caused some trouble. He had some legal trouble, and certainly it's it's very exciting for him that it all got cleared up, seemed to be a misunderstanding. But certainly when you're going through it, it doesn't matter if something is a misunderstanding. If you got this legal trouble, that's certainly going to weigh on your mind. And so whether or not, you know, those are adequate excuses or not, uh, certainly those were things that factored in the equation, but you do want to see a bounce back. And, and one of the things that we know is in the past, you know, maybe seven, eight, 10 years ago, there was a lot of talk about the third year wide receiver breakout, but you know, we've done a lot of work on this site. I had articles up on breakouts the last couple of seasons showing it's really this second year. Uh, Blair has had some fantastic work on wide receiver breakouts showing that, you know, even in that first year, Certainly in the second year is the big one. And then when players change teams after their fourth season, you get these guys who break out as fifth years. This third year wide receiver breakout is really not as much of a thing. Now, certainly people do continue to grow, do continue to emerge. And so, you know, we're, we're looking for him to, to do well here, but it's not something where we should be looking at it because of the third year. If it's anything, it's going to be because he's actually you know, changed something around. The team has changed something around. Uh, the offense has changed. Certainly the shift at offensive coordinator, which I think started to help some of the guys when that happened last year. Now they're kind of starting out with a clean slate, really using you know, his offense. So we're looking at Tyler Boyd. Like you mentioned, Brandon LaFell gets released. And the news about Boyd has been has been absolutely fantastic he's been obviously working in the slot he's been working outside uh, in fantasy he's the perfect breakout candidate for you because he costs nothing if you're wrong so he's another guy you can draft in the very last round but you compare him to you know what you have to pay for someone like a randall cobb even after cobb has had several down seasons what you have to play, pay for a julian edelman who uh, has spent so much of the last several years injured and is now suspended. You know, you're paying premium prices for these guys who have some red flags and really project to similar types of roles of what you might see from Tyler Boyd for free. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the new OC, uh, Bill Lazer, been there on a, you know, he's a full-time job now, he came in during the season, but it's not only a couple of years ago, the time that he took over for the Miami Dolphins, that people thought that he was like an offensive genius. Uh, I think it was, I think it might have been that he was part of Chip Kelly's staff prior to that. Uh, don't quote me on that, but the other part is that the last two games of the season, you kind of mentioned the yards, he had 91 yards in that last game, but in the game before, he had five receptions, five receptions in the last game, so he was starting to get involved more in the se- or more in the team at that stage. Prior to that, two was his best reception in any game in the season so just pretty much nowhere near involved at all but when you look at him you know he could it's not a huge i've heard this a couple of times in the show it's not a huge stretch to find yourself saying that he's this year's you know nelson aguilar he's this year's Devonte adams where all hope is lost for him and then all of a sudden people are surprised when we uh, see him bounce back and have a big season and i think that's why sean is highlighting him at this stage of the season sean's not gonna be saying you know come mid-season come the end of the season oh i was surprised by that one 
So we're heading in now to the fourth quarter. We're getting closer to the end of the show. And uh, I want to talk a little bit, Sean, about uh, a comment you made on the show with Pat Fitzmaurice. And you were talking about the kitchen sinko. Uh, a lot of people know Ryan McDowell from Dynasty Circles, uh, one of the biggest uh, you know, influences, I think, in the Dynasty football community at the moment. But with him, the kitchen sinko uh, league, you were doing the Debbie draft uh, this past week. And you were talking about that uh, you've done over 30 transactions to eventually get a trade done to get the next person we're going to be talking about. That is Taiwan Taylor of the Titans. And, uh, you know, the, the, the public or the pieces that are coming out over the, the last couple of weeks on Taylor are very, very positive. And I was looking forward to seeing what he was going to do prior to the pieces. The pieces sometimes then rise up the value. But I just love hearing about trade stories. So uh, 30 transactions and you got your man in the end. Yeah, and it actually went in the other direction. So with Taylor, the other way. <laughs> this, yeah, we can compare this to Boyd's situation a little bit in that uh, Taylor is a four-year college player, uh, which that doesn't project nearly as well. And you know, we mentioned a little bit earlier, but when you look at at these guys drafted between eleven and thirty-two, so taking out the top ten guys because really you have a different sort of expectation for those top ten guys in the draft. But 11 through 32, second round and third round, you look at the guys who come out early and they have a first two-year average fantasy points that is higher than the people, than the seniors who were drafted a full round earlier than they were. And so it's not that this is just a little bit of an issue. It's a pretty big deal in terms of where where and when the person declared what their age-adjusted production, their experience-adjusted production was. And so this throws up a red flag for Taylor, but certainly doesn't eliminate him. Just because the averages are better doesn't mean that individual players don't have success all the time. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is that within his four years, he didn't have a single season with a receiving market share as high as Boyd had in every season. Again, so this just gives us a little bit of an ability to contextualize what the production was, you know, how we should see these players. On the other hand, he did have a 1,730 yards, scored 17 touchdowns, and averaged 17 yards per reception in that final season. So these gaudy raw numbers definitely help you. Uh, There's plenty of information suggesting that the receivers with this high yards per reception project much better to the NFL. And then he gets drafted, you know, number 72 overall, comes in, doesn't really do much as a rookie, but now is is being counted on. The buzz for him has been fantastic in camp like you mentioned. Uh, he's benefiting from this mystery injury and absence of Rashard Matthews, which that's, I think, the real question for Taylor, because if he's blocked in terms of a legitimate opportunity by Corey Davis, by Rashard Matthews, by uh, Delaney Walker at tight end, and then potentially have a high volume receiver in Deion Lewis, then there's not a lot of path to the sort of volume that would allow him to be a dynamic fantasy player. But if even one of those guys is out, then suddenly you have this deep threat who is really developing this rapport with Marcus Mariota. So the Tennessean has a story of a big play where, you know, he's called out in practice by Malcolm Butler, you know, new corner. He's been reportedly one of the biggest stars of Titans camp. But on this particular play, uh, he calls Taylor out and then Taylor immediately blisters him for this, for this long touchdown. And, and that got everybody's excitement up there and, and is supposedly just one play among many where Taylor has flashed. So we can talk about my trade for here in a second. Cole, I wanted to ask you, though, let's say you have this great breakout candidate or a good breakout candidate, but he's priced with some of that breakout included. So you can get a good price now, 
less than what you're going to get if he definitely breaks out, but certainly a lot more than what you get if he goes the full Doriel Green Beckham. If you prefer buy, sell, obviously it depends a little on the situation. What elements would you weigh when you're trying to make that decision? Yeah, I, I had forgot about the name Doriel Green Beckham, and I suppose when we're talking about the Titans, it's fair to bring it up. And that one hurts because I had quite a few shares of him uh, during his you know stint in the NFL, and I kind of cashed out on them all when he went. Uh, you know, the last selling opportunity for him was when it went to the Philadelphia Eagles in that trade, and uh, people were still buying in. So I tend to uh, you know try and value all my dynasty assets a bit like stocks and shares. So if they're at a price I think is too good to be true, I try and move out. It's kind of a case by case basis, like you mentioned. But somebody who's in a lot of my rosters at the minute, uh, and I've had them for a couple of years, would be guys like maybe John Brown. Uh, Tyler Lockett that you know they're kind of at this stage they're almost post hype sleepers that we kind of thought a lot of them two three years ago but they're on my roster now and at this stage you know if you're trying to move them you're going to get absolutely nothing for them but they're the kind of players that I like to target players that you know have shown that ability but then haven't really produced it at a consistent basis for one reason or another so they're the kind of players I try to get and then you know if they have a nice season they have a pickup that you can try and cash them in for the draft picks that you need or pick you know try and package them together to get a a more uh, established player or a player that you really like a player on the other hand that i have in quite a few leagues and i'm still waiting to see how it plays out is Corey davis and he's somebody who you know if you drafted him you kind of bought him at his peak and at still his price is at his you know it's factored in that he is going to be you know a five or six year you know wide receiver one slash two in dynasty and his price and people are, at the minute like it's like people aren't willing to pay the price and people won't sell him for less so you're kind of stuck in a whole situation but it's balancing up that do you think if you think like if, if i have Corey davis now and i don't think he's going to produce anything over this season and heading into next year i have to make that decision now am i willing to take a little bit less 80 percent on the dollar to be able to accept that and it's the same then going the other way but I try and I'm sure you do the same, Sean. Try and value it all on a case by case basis to see who, like you know, what does the projections expect this player to do. Try and take it from a more mathematical point of view than just saying, you know, I like this player. Like I, I'm in a lot of leagues where you know players are sharp and you know they're really into it. But you always get a couple of players then that'll be like, no, I like this player, and under no circumstances am I moving him away. And I think that's a really bad way to run your teams because you need to have a team, not just one player, and having those kind of players pulling your heartstrings really can affect how your team does so i think you'll probably go the same way sean have you have you a different perspective on it or is that similar no i think that's exactly the right way to go and i think that uh, especially if you're trying to to rebuild it's very helpful to uh, sell your best players you know when you have this idea of, of foundation players well by the time that you have built around that foundation you know you can be five six years down the road whereas if you sell those foundation players and and get good volume and, and good players back, players who hopefully have a, a fairly wide range of outcomes and could hit on on ceiling uh, results, then you know you make several of those trades and you really can rejuvenate your roster, get a lot of, of young talent in there. And, and one of the things about the young talent is that you can resell that again. The more transactions you can make, the more quickly you can remake your roster and the more upside you can build into your roster. So really hanging on to these young talents can actually be uh, the worst approach for building a lot of of upside and youth into your dynasty roster, which not only helps you in terms of building a dynasty, but it builds in a lot more subsequent trade value, which you're always hoping to do as well. 
Yeah, and I think some people, you know, the the big problem for them is they can't understand if they're in a rebuild mode. They always think they're contending. And I think that's where the advantage is if you can take over, you know, an Orphan Dynasty team that is a really bad team, you can start to understand a lot more of how to develop a lineup and not just, you know, go from your draft and then keep the players. Uh, I think that's a huge problem for people that are new to Dynasty starting to understand that, you know, it's going to take two years to turn this team around. And I think that's something that people need to be able to, to call out on their own teams. So uh, we're going to go straight into uh, talking about more young players. And do you want to touch on any of the, the Davy draft? So the Kitchen Cinco League is this fantastic league where we have uh, the rookie draft, we have the free agent draft, we have the developmental player draft, which is obviously the college players that you can stash on your taxi squad and then promote them onto your team in the future. And really the best thing is that it's actually not a draft, it's an auction. And so with a developmental auction, you have to have both the money and the Debbie slots in order to, to hold those guys to make the bids. And, and having the slots also you know, shifts a little bit some of the values. And certainly you have some issues maybe later on in the draft where people have run out of slots or they've run out of money. And then you see some crazy values at the end. The one person who had uh, sort of an odd value, the, the very highest player, in the draft was Kelvin Harmon, wide receiver there. I think he still would have gone very, very high, but to see him go for almost 60 points more than A.J. Brown uh, was certainly something that was specific to this auction. On the running back side, and we'll look at the running backs because a couple of the trades that I actually made subsequent to the, the Debbie auction were with these running backs. On the running back side, we didn't really have as much of that. These values tend to be truer to what the the owners really wanted. So, to quickly go through those numbers, we had David Montgomery come off the board at 199, DeAndre Swift at 180, Jonathan Taylor 150, J.K. Dobbins 121, Stephen Carr 99, Bryce Love 45, Travis Etienne 35, Damian Harris 32, Zamir White 31, Miles Sanders 15, Miles Gaskin 15, Trey Sermon 4, Najee Harris 3, A.J. Dillon 2, Rodney Anderson 1, Master Teague 1, and Devin Singletary 1. So as you're putting your Debbie board together, you can at least factor that in a little bit, see what some of these guys really liked, how they saw players. Certainly both the talent, the upside is factored in, and then also how soon or how quickly these players can come to the NFL. Players who are expected to declare for or be eligible for the 2019 draft are going to have more value than players for the 2020 and 21 draft, both of whom we did have some guys uh, who would project for those drafts. So it's interesting to see some real still prospect types of players go as well. But the trade actually ended up being Taylor for Najee Harris, the number two back for Alabama behind Damian. And we went back and forth. We started with, with Tariq Cohen um, for possibly Harris and Dylan and maybe, um, a Debbie slot, which in this format, you have to have both the slots and the money in order to, to make the bids and continue to work around, had Taylor involved in some different things, had Taylor involved in a separate trade, uh, potentially with Love and ATN uh, and Aaron Jones. That one ended up going down as just Aaron Jones for Love. And then this one here, working back with Taylor to be for Harris. Now, Harris is an interesting guy because he was the number one overall player in terms of running back in the previous recruiting class but the number three back on alabama last year uh, definitely still has work to do to get up to even being the top guy on his team for the season uh, his his teammate damian harris one of 
really a couple of guys who are projected as potential late first round picks in this upcoming draft. So definitely a lot of potential there. You know, if he should break out, you know, you could start to see his developmental value go into the, the Cam Akers range. Uh, at the same time, certainly plenty of, of bust value as well. So a lot of that is a matter of, of roster construction and wanting to have uh, some Debbie guys to stash on the taxi squad. Yeah, and for I know we talked a little bit of Dynasty. Now we've talked Debbie, we talked a little bit of Redraft. We're going to kind of cover everything here in the show on a weekly basis and try and give you as much kind of under-the-radar knowledge as you can as well as picking out some of the obviously we'll hit some of the easy hanging fruit from time to time but it's good to get those deep dives and you know if anyone's listening they don't know what davy is it's a form of dynasty league that you pick out the the guys that aren't even in the nfl that are still in the college game and i know some of the leagues that ryan does uh, go all the way back to people that are still in high school as well so uh, it's it's very fascinating to hear about uh, two of the sharpest minds in the fantasy football industry uh, you know doing their trade negotiations so thanks for sharing that with us sean I should mention that in order to get the trade done, I did have to include Josh Malone and twenty five dollars in, in all purpose value. So, I mean, we're we're definitely talking. In in order to get it done, you have to have all of all of the little pieces. And and Malone's an interesting guy as well. Was was another one of those Bengals who was having a, a good camp before a little bit of a, a nagging injury there. So, uh, you're looking at that LaFell release. It may not just be Boyd, certainly Ross, Malone, other guys who could benefit there with the Bengals. Yeah, we might look into that and uh, some of the common weeks. And uh, you always, for full disclosure, in case Ryan uh, sends us a message to say we didn't tell the full details of the trade, it's all on the table now and everything is fully disclosed. <laughs> We're going to go a little bit more rapid fire now as we wrap up the end of the show and we're going into overtime here, hence the name overtime. We're trying to move through the show, keep it as a fast flowing show for you. We're going to talk a little bit about the Green Bay Packers and the wide receivers, particularly the rookie wide receivers. I put a piece up on the site uh, this past week looking at uh, who I think could have a breakout in the deep sleepers role. And, uh, you know, I picked two wide receivers and I know that Sean is quite interested in the other wide receiver that I didn't pick. I talked about Jamon Moore and uh, ESB, Equinomius St. Brown. The other one there is Marquis. Marquise Valdez Scantling they're quite a mouthful when you try and say the three of them they're all at the one time they're kind of battling out for the number three role uh, behind Cobb and behind Adams and then of course you have Jimmy Graham there tight end as well so I wrote about them on the site and the thing that I find interesting is basically it's going to be a case of with Geronimo Allison there that only one of these guys really has the potential to have uh, a big season behind the other ones and obviously with Rodgers being there in the top three targets they in my opinion might all possibly uh, hit 100 targets this season but that would still leave you know over 200 targets from Rodgers to spread around so there is the possibility for them to have breakout years as rookies and they're both pretty much going at the same stage of dynasty drafts and redrafts at this point they're pretty much free in redraft but it's interesting with the way the drafts went in the NFL draft with I think uh, I'm just trying to look down through the piece here I think it was 74 places that were between uh, the two wide receivers taken in this and then Scantling was taken in between them but in those dynasty drafts now as things have progressed it's amazing that uh, ESB is now pretty much tied in draft uh, and dynasty leagues with more and more obviously projects to be I think he's still a risky pick, but more of a safe pick uh, than ESB. But ESB kind of in that Dory Hill Green Beckham mode has that kind of freakish athletic ability that we think that, you know, it could project to just being an absolute superstar in the league, but there's a lot of question marks around him. Is there anything from those two guys that really stands out for you? And you mentioned that you have uh, Fantes Scantling in a lot of leagues because he was pretty much free in those drafts. Uh, what's your feelings on those as a trio? Well, I had made a big trade for Equinemius St. Brown in, in Wes Huber's um, in industrial, industry developmental dynasty league a couple of years ago after he had had that uh, impressive sophomore season. 
The interesting thing here, I think, again, is this difference between someone who declared early but coming off a very poor season versus a couple of seniors coming off of of much more impressive campaigns. And the Packers definitely were were emphasizing sort of the height, weight, speed kinds of things here with Valdez Scantling being the number one player from this class in, in freak score, which is a height, weight, speed number that helps you see how they project to score touchdowns at the NFL level. I own those two guys. I, I, I've got a lot of Moore and a lot of Brown, uh, St. Brown from the past. And then adding new players, I have Valdez Scantling pretty much everywhere, uh, but only because he's absolutely free. We see with the Packers that they they had a lot of guys on that list of, of players who were not as impressive as rookies, had to wait for a little bit, and then absolutely exploded. And so I think you could see these guys sort of hovering in the background and then being very big 2019 uh, contributors, or at least the winner of this battle. But there's certainly some opportunity there. I don't think that Allison uh, really factors in very heavily at all. Uh, Colm, you you wrote this great article for the site. Give me a winner in this battle. Yeah, when I, when I look, I just want to hit Allison first because you mentioned, and you know, as little as he did last year for the Packers, he still had an eight point nine target share in twenty seventeen, which isn't huge, but for somebody who you pretty much think is getting targets from Aaron Rodgers and is going under the radar. And then we talked about listening to camp reports. Well, one that's coming out at the minute is John Wallace is definitely going to be the third choice wide receiver in this team, and I just don't see that as the case. You know, with his athletic, his athletic profile, I just don't see him being able to hold off. Uh, all of these three guys and i really don't realistically see him holding off any of the three guys so when i look at what i'm expecting to happen this year um you know i see more as more of a person who could get more snaps if uh, randall cobb happened to be injured uh or, you know has a setback you know his spark scores 85th percentile there is just a lot of impressive uh, athletic ability but the one that I'm interested in is ESB because if he happens to get an opportunity, we know Jimmy Graham's injury history, Adams has had his concussions, and Jordy Nelson is now gone from the Green Bay Packers. So I think there's a good chance to see Brown with his size and athleticism getting more opportunities in the red zone. So if there's a case where Rodgers fails to get that chemistry with Graham and if Adams doesn't be, you know, I think Adams is going to have a huge, huge season. But if he doesn't just combine to be able to replicate what he did last year and then uh, have the effect that Jordy Nelson had in the red zone, I think it could be in line for some uh, more touchdown opportunities. And as the rookies and as the three of them, uh, pretty much will tie it into four. If the four of them kind of cannibalize each other in terms of targets and opportunities, I think the most likely person to get those uh, coveted red zone opportunities as ESB so I just think for the the upside and the the value and everything he's the one that I'm interested in but it's really really tough like you mentioned with the three of them uh, how to how to separate them at this point but I, th- I think one of them will have quite a large role this season because I just don't see a case where Geronimo Allison can hold off all three and it's gonna be very very interesting to see uh, you know in the next three weeks once we see preseason who's getting those reps with Rodgers on the field and who's getting mixed in because I think uh, you know most most teams I put this in the piece most teams when they have a wide receiver tree it's not somebody who are that interested in having a, a big role but when you're in with Aaron Rodgers and the opportunity he provides and fantasy points uh, it's something that you have to pay very close attention to I agree I think one of these rookies is going to come through I will go ahead and put my money uh, on Jamon Moore and say that his overall profile while the other two guys have more splash more athleticism um either the height or the speed more is the more (laughs) the most well-rounded player from that group and will be uh, a rookie impact late in the season 
more is a more is a more. But I think what we'll do, Sean, is I'll jump aboard the ESB bandwagon. You jump aboard the more bandwagon. We'll see who comes out on top at the end of the season. We can have a little bit of fun as the season progresses here on the Road of His Overtime podcast. But that's going to do us for today's edition of the show. It's brought to you by the FFPC. I mentioned we now have our individual feed up and running on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. We're also up on Twitter as well at Road of His Overtime. So if you have any topics you'd like us to head on uh, in next week's show, be sure and let us know those and we'll get it all set up for next week. My co-host today is Sean Siegel who is the co-owner of Rotoviz Radio. You can follow him on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And until we're back with next week's show, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount to the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.